Welcome to Queer Core on CKUT 90.3 FM, Montreal's only queer culture show that bridges any divide between queer sex and radical queer politics. Due to the fabulous nature of queer experience, tonight's program may contain sexually explicit or coarse language. You've been advised.
What's up, everybody? You're tuning in to Ask Miss Ask Miss Chris on Queer Core with the one and only Miss Chris. So just like last week, as I mentioned, this is a pre-recorded episode because, as everybody knows, the month of August in Montreal is the month of Pride. Be out and be proud. Month of Pride also means for performers and other artists that we're usually pretty booked and pretty pretty booked and busy. And for that, I have you guys to thank for always putting my names up for whatever gig you know, performance gig, hosting gig. Any type of thing you 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 feel that would be fitting, you guys never fail to put me on, so I appreciate deeply. But that goes to say that I cannot often be here live 6 p.m. every week, especially in the month of August. So we're going to get into this little pre-recording gig, and we're mix-matching afterwards with everything that you guys send me, with it. whether it's music, whether it's songs, whether it's little projects you want to premiere on the radio, you let me know. You can also send everything at askmisschris.com. That's CKUT at CKUT.ca. So I repeat, ask Miss Chris at CKUT.ca. So if you haven't guessed the theme of today's episode yet, the song that we just played was Ghost by Fifi Dobson, the one and only Canadian rock baddie. We love Miss Fifi here. So basically, ghost, ghosting, 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 ghosting itself. Per usual, every topic that I bring on the radio that I decide to speak upon is either based on something that I've recently or some time in my life went through or something that my friends went through that I can also relate to a certain extent. So once again, if you haven't guessed, the theme of the episode is ghost or ghosting. So many things can be said about ghosting and the reason why I decided to bring ghosting as a topic for this week is I remember the first episode of Ask Miss Chris, we were doing LLC, Lovers, Leavers and Cheaters, which to a certain extent comes into, while ghosting comes into the LLC, I would put it in the Leavers. Right. So recently my friend was going was dating this guy. They were going kinda of strong for maybe five, six months. And of course it ended up in him kind of ghosting her. In the sense that if she hadn't been the one reaching out after he had made plans to end those five months in the city with her, you know, on a good note, he had made the plans for the weekend, he cancelled in a very last minute and kind of dis mm, disacknowledging way, if that's a word. <laughs> So basically, my friend decided to reach out to him to let him know how she felt and how, you know, it is kind of hurtful if you're going to be with me for five months and give me your time and energy just to cancel in such a disregarding, there we go, disregarding way at the last minute because you last minutely made better plans. But then you're offering me to fit me on a coffee date. After we passed five months together where I introduced you to my friends, where she introduced you to all the people in her life and everything. So, you know, I can understand why she would feel a certain way about it. It is kind of disregarding. That was the word, disregarding. But the thing about ghosting itself is that ghosting, when you think of it, there's certain signs that lead prior to the ghosting to the actual act of ghosting. Like I always say, when you're dating somebody, for example, in her case, or even my case, because I've been victim of ghosting, when you date somebody for, let's say, five to six months plus, right? That's half of your year. If you really think of it mathematically, that is half of your year. The year is only 12 months. So you just passed half of the year with a person in your life where you've shared emotional support with each other, you've shared love, you've shared connections, communications, and whatever else you could share in a relationship. I'll spare you the details. <laughs> but you've shared all this with that person for a good five, two plus months. But yet, that person never made somewhat of a, an attempt to give some type of legitimacy 
to what you guys had during those months. Because when I say some type of legitimacy, I never mean jumping straight to a relationship because a relationship is something very important to a certain extent. If you decide to spend your life, right, time, energy, and build with someone, I would hope that you pick your people carefully and wisely. So I would never expect somebody to rush into a relationship because we've known each other for a certain amount of time. What I would, what I would expect is, <clears throat> after a certain amount of time, for the person or the people that you're involved with to be acknowledging and the country of disregarding concerning the time and effort you've put in all these months. Because once again, nobody's asking you to marry anybody. But giving some type of, of legitimacy in the sense of the, infam the infamous question, what are we? <laughs> Do you see a future for the two of us? Nobody's asking about that. What we're asking is for us to be Oh, I see some people. <laughs> yes, indeed. You see, we heard of people they love what I'm saying. I'm kidding. But back to the top. Yes. So some type of legitimacy into the relationship or the situation because ghosting is never... When I'm telling you ghosting is so... It's the height of being disregarding to me ghosting is. Because in my friend's situation, he wanted to see her so badly in the last weekend, right? Because he was going back home. Just for him to cancel last minute because he had better plans with somebody else he was seeing in those five months. Now, if this isn't disregarding, I don't know what is. And as I told you, the signs were speaking for themselves. Because if you were with somebody that was doing a constant back and forth between you and someone else for five to plus months. Five to plus months. What is the truth? Where do you stand in that person's head and heart and feelings about this whole situation of them being overseas and being in another country hmm? where do you stand in his story and her their story because at the end of the day by not choosing it is a choice you're making a choice by not it's a stand if you truly felt a certain way about the person you had made plans with as strong right if you felt as strong or if they felt right because i'm talking to you guys and i hope you guys are not ghosters so if you, if the person felt as strong as they said they did feel about you or for you, for them to just cancel last minute to go with somebody else that they were seeing and a constant back and forth with you, where is the truth? What's love got to do with it? Because in my head, it is a choice. At the end of the day, you chose, you chose the other person. And by giving people the silence treatment when you're just ready to leave in the sense that once you're being called out, because that's something my friend went through and I also went through. You go, you pack, you know, you brace yourself and you bring up your fears and you hold them by the throat and you say, I'm going to face them. So you go ask and bring it up to the person that goes to you, right? You see somebody at a party, you're like, oh, this is someone I spent, now this is me, right? This is someone I spent eight months with. And it ended just in, a, in a, such an awkward way. And now there's obviously some type of tension, like uh, an awkwardness in the room every time we see each other. So you guys know me. I'm not one to, to tergiverser on my side and trying to make, a, trying to come up with solutions and answers. I like to go to the bottom of the solution and the answer. I like to go ask the person. No pun intended when I said the bottom. <laughs> so I went to see that person and I'm like, what's going on? You know, what happened? Not to sound like an, uh, an old cliche R&B song, what happened between us. But what happened indeed? Because my thing is, if you feel so strongly about someone, enough for you to share a life, emotional support, 
communication, trauma, happiness, bonding, and joy. You share all these things for all these months, but yet you can cut it off so so swiftly, with no prior or no further explanation, just disappearing. And even though you said that there was nothing to be expected from that situation, Chip, it was just living in the moment and feeling the vibes and enjoying ourselves. My thing is, you were definitely comfortable enough to take and take and take. And even though you gave, even though you gave emotional support, even though you gave all these things, you were comfortable enough to receive. And the moment that the other party is not even expecting, but ready ready to bring up a conversation about giving some sense of legitimacy because we cannot be numbers on each other's phone for the, for the past, for the next eight months you know we've all done that we've all been with people that you see on the regular for how long but there's never 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 nothing serious and never anything that ever comes out of it but the thing about this kind of situation is that it can be draining it can definitely definitely be draining and who says draining, you know, to me leads to, to, to ghosting. Because by deciding to allow yourself to be in a, a situation where it's simply uncertainty for the longest. You look at the relationship, the way the situation, whatever you want to call it. And you look at the way it's going. You might be here 2033. 20, like those long-suffering fiancés that are fiancés for the next 10 years. I see it as the same, and that's why I'm at a point in my life where I think of ghosting itself, and I'm like, first of all, A, you dodged a bullet. And I'm telling you guys this, by somebody ghosting you, you definitely dodged a bullet. Because that tells you everything you know about the... That tells you everything you know about this person's, you know, way of standing in the world. How much respect they also have for you, and they have for themselves. Because especially in a city like Montreal, you cannot tell me that you're really playing on ghosting somebody and never expecting to see them ever again. And it would be one thing if you're ghosting somebody and you still say hi to them. Because, for example, I've been the person to not necessarily ghost, but if I feel like we're just talking on the apps, talking on social media, whatever. And very, 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 very early on, I already see that this is not leading anywhere that I'm interested in, in being led to. I might stop answering. Because at the end of the day, we've never met. There's, there's never been anything that's changed further than words. So I don't, I don't owe you anything. But when it comes to somebody that you've met, one would expect at least, especially if you've met in a public setting, if you've had, you know, you've been seen in public, you've met people together, you would expect somebody to say hi to you. But that's the thing about ghosting, isn't it? Because it's in a way more telling about the ghost itself. Because while you're in the corner, feeling extremely uncomfortable, best believe the person ghosting feels pretty much as uncomfortable as you do. Because they know at the end of the day, they were in the wrong in the sense that you probably have plenty of questions for them. Because by somebody ghosting, people will know why they ghosted. That's between them and God. They will know what they do. They know why they did it. You probably will never know. And I also want you to know that it doesn't matter. And it's okay. And you shouldn't go out of your way to try to know because at the end of the day, if the person really wanted something of substance or built something of somewhat of substance with you, they would have let you know what was you know going down in their head. Why would they feel the need to the need to leave? They obviously didn't want to. They obviously also didn't care that much about you to let you know how 
you might have made him felt. Because like I said, there's always a reason. Maybe you don't even know, but you're extremely dismissive about something. Who knows? But when I say dodge the butt is, do you really want to be staying with somebody that would take the first opportunity to run and leave you in the the dust, in the dark? No explanation, no knowledge of whatsoever. For you to to then maybe three months later on still question, did I do anything wrong? Wasn't I this enough? Wasn't I, was I two of this? That tells you everything you need to know. But in looking at my friend, because remember this all came about because my friend went through, went through something that's similar recently. And looking at my friend, I couldn't help but wonder if I'm to quote Miss Carrie Bradshaw. <laughs> I couldn't help to wonder and realize that in a sense, it was a good thing that she did go through this because, well, of course, you go through experiences to learn, but it was a good thing that she let herself being led through this because it meant that she believed. And once again, like I always say, I can only speak about things from experience based on what I can relate to often. And I can definitely relate about the believing part because I'm at a point in my life where sometimes I feel like I don't believe enough. You know, you want to be accessible, but you also don't want to be easy to match to, you know, to play with. Because by letting people, by giving people access, giving access to everybody, to yourself and your time, you're also letting everybody playing with yourself and your time. You let people play with you. You let people play with your time. Reclaim your time. <laughs> you really need to. And it comes with believing because in a sense, I often don't believe because I'm like, words are words. And the words of Dali, la parole, la parole. Like I said last week, Barack Obama could come in the club, tell me he wants me to run the White House on Tuesday. Wednesday morning, I wouldn't leave. I'd stay right here. Because words are words. We cannot let us allow ourselves to believe too much. But we do have to allow ourselves to think that maybe. You can always let yourself live in the moment and in your feelings while still retaining some type of common sense and open-mindedness. Because one doesn't negate the other. You still can believe in... You know, I don't know what fairy tales and everything, but also understanding that you might not meet the Prince Charming of the damsel in distress right away. And if we go back to ghosting, in a sense, like I said, you touch the bullet and you really have to look at it as a, at the end of the day, as much as it felt real, it probably wasn't as real to them. They definitely enjoyed their times. They definitely enjoyed your company. They loved being with you because they wouldn't have stayed five to six to seven to eight to maybe a year with you if they didn't. Nobody is that desperate for a bed. Even though I always tell you guys, you better be careful about people pretending that they want to cuddle so much with you and they love cuddling with you. Meanwhile, it's because they have five roommates and a guy they can't stand. Honey, <laughs> he just wants your bed. <laughs> so you really have to allow yourself to find the perfect balance within believing and understanding that words are words. Because in a way, it's the only way that you can keep yourself from falling in the hands of a ghost. Now, if we are to go further on this topic, right? Let me have a sip. If you are to go further on this topic, and further in the future, let's say, and then now, a while ago, let's say, a year after the ghosting itself, after you've been ghosted by somebody that you know you've been with, approximately close to a year because 
my thing is if you were with somebody for three months and a year and a half later you're still thinking of that situation to be understand i always say feelings are not to be quantified they're not to be explained it is the way you feel it's how you act that is act upon them that is to be questioned but at some point you have to go on and you know go get up and get out in the world and get some so let's say you were involved with somebody for a certain amount of time and a year later of that same amount of, of that same certain amount of time you're still thinking of them it never hurts to you know especially if you live in the same city you know where to find them go in the club one day if you see them take pull them on the side and ask them but you also have to understand that you might not get the answer you want you might not even get a truthful answer and especially with ghosting the thing about ghosting is often it doesn't necessarily mean that you guys ended on a bad note which would make things so much easier as to deciphering what is the issue because if you left on a bad note there was an issue at hand therefore it was two parties involved often so you kind of have an idea what happened but when everything was left on a standstill out of nowhere what makes you think that having a conversation in a public space right in the club for example because i've done that you'll get you'll get a less not even less than truthful but just excuse me my my, my language but a bullshit answer what you'll get is them acknowledging that they did you wrong and that's it but they're probably never going to tell you why they left and they're probably not even going to go in details they'll you know there's a new move in town <laughs> a new move something that i've witnessed people do often when they're put in front of the fact that they've hurt a significant other somebody that they were seeing for a certain amount of time Everybody now is so prone and so able to hold themselves ac- accountable because of all the rhetoric and conversations that we're having, thank God, on conversation, Conversa- on, um, sorry, on social media. We're having so many different types of conversations where people are expected or brought to hold themselves accountable on certain things. And not even when I say hold themselves accountable, I'm not talking about like in a debate kind of way, but just in a understanding that certain things are different for you and certain things will be different for others and you might have seen stuff differently in that moment because that's the way life is but you do have to hold yourself accountable and understanding that kind of the issue a bit of the issue kind of came from how you behaved and to a certain extent so people are becoming kings queens and rulers at being able to say uh, I'm sorry I fucked up I realize I fucked up yeah I hope you get better and somebody treats you and you get everything you want. Which I like to call it, I know I fucked you up and I'm apologizing, but I will not do right by you. I'm actually just going to go. Yeah, I'm going to go. But you heal, right? I'm sorry once again. So why do you really need to, why do you really need to know? Because by forcing somebody to own up to the fact that they ghosted you, hey, Good luck, first of all, because a lot of people are very tenacious. You can be arguing with them for a while, and they still will say, I did not ghost you. I was busy, which can be very true because we're all busy. Myself, I just told you, I have to come and pre-record this show. I can't be here on Mondays all the time. So I understand being busy. Somebody was texting me just now trying to make me come see their new apartment. Child, I probably have time because I'm only recording for 30 minutes, no more. But I'm going home after that because I'm busy. Busy doing what? Busy taking care of myself. Because at the end of the day, you cannot expect, even if it's a committed relationship, you can't expect people to give you their time whenever you need it. Child, it's a pandemic. We're in somewhat of a recession, allegedly. People are busy. People are trying to survive. Beyonce released an album. 
Do you see the state of the world? It's in shambles. So you can't expect to you can't expect people to just be on your beacon call. But I was saying this to say the same way you can't expect people to be at your demand when it comes to their times. You can't expect people to be ready and further and you know coming forward with whatever explanation you need from them. Sometimes it's up to you to find the not even the explanation, but it's up to you to find a way to come in a full circle in the sense of coming and you know facing the fact that you know what they did you wrong and it hurt then that's how it's gonna end because then a lot of from my experience right you get ghosted by somebody you bring it up it's talked it's acknowledged there's an apology and then there's an offer of meeting again because now the person has been notified and they're way more understanding of how the dynamics can be a perceived and whatever so I gave that person another chance well guess what we fucked and then he ghosted again <laughs> when I'm telling you it's if you can laugh you know don't girl don't oh, don't oh, me and the words of Wendy Williams I have a radio show <laughs> but it's not even um, a sad thing because the funniest part it's not even like it's somebody that I was just seeing for sex this is someone I was seeing sometimes the entire weekend every week you can ask my girls People have barely seen me outside of December 2021. I was shackled up in this man's apartment. A quite of a nice apartment, might I add. Which goes back to what I told you girls earlier. A homosexual. Because even though I love this apartment and I love this presence and company, I also was at his house because at the time, I was in a very sticky, icky situation with my roommate. So, you never understand why people are so in the moment with you. Sometimes they're in the moment with you because whatever moment they have in their personal life is not cutting it. And you bring something better, which is, which brings it back to what I said at the beginning of this episode. They enjoyed your time, they enjoyed your company, and they enjoyed your presence and whatever you had to offer. It doesn't negate the fact. Ghosting, them, ghosting you doesn't negate the fact that they enjoyed all these things. They probably had the most fun with you out of all the people they were seeing in this city if they were there. When they were there. But it also doesn't negate the fact that at the end of the day, they were not looking for something serious with you. Because if they had, they wouldn't have ghosted. Ghosting is when you simply don't value someone. It's true. And, you know, I know a lot of people might, a lot of people, some people that are listening that have done it. And especially some people that have been in a situation kind of similar with me, for example. Because I know some of you guys still listen to what I do. It's very appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. But some of you guys might be listening and some of you guys are fully aware that I'm talking about you because we had those conversations. But am I lying once again? And I dare you to come message me tonight and let me know that it's not the case. And I, je reiter for people to know what was the case. Ghosting is when you don't care that much about somebody. Change my mind. And I want you, everybody at home, to take that in consideration. Next time you see someone and you see the months leading and nothing and even though you brought it up maybe once or maybe it has been brought up slightly in a conversation they don't seem in any hurry to make anything somewhat legitimate then that tells you anything you need to know that that person could pretty much be gone next week because if after all these months they're still not trying to make something legitimate outside of words and big promises of we're gonna see each other when you go to you know when you come see me and overseas, you know, I'm not putting too many details out because this is people's stories. But when you're going to come see me overseas, you know, uh, 
we're gonna see each other and you're gonna meet my family and girl if he really wanted you to meet the mama a, f- a FaceTime call is one click away it's like that and if he really wanted you to meet mama he would have made some type of effort to meet your mama but now he's offering you to stay at his house somewhere outside of the country of the continent and his parents house because his parents are that cool and they're gonna love you well honey how do you know they're gonna love me they probably never saw my face that's what I'm saying a FaceTime call is a phone click away so let us all go home well go home there's an amazing uh, programmation coming after this after this little pause but let us all after this take this end sit back and decipher what really went down right and once you do sit up with this explanation and keep it up to yourself because if you really desperately need an explanation to get closure which is something I feel you should work on you should be able to get closure without an explanation but if you really feel to feel that you definitely need an explanation then go come up with your own <laughs> come up with your own explanation and close the file he left because of this bam she left because I did this bam they left because they were feeling this way bam better you go up in this world and think the way you think about that person because honestly this person obviously doesn't care about showing your, showing you how they truly feel so might as well come up, come up with it for them don't you think Instead of you going to waste your time and energy once again to have a conversation with someone that at the end of the day couldn't have been bothered to have that conversation six months before with you. Now, let me have another sip as we go on this little ad musical break and back with the programmation. I'm searching for something that I can reach I don't like them innocent, I don't want no face fresh Want them wearing leather bag and let me be your taste test I like the sad eyes, bad guys, mouth full of white lies Kiss me in the corridor real quick to tell me goodbye You say that you're no good for me Cause I'm always tugging at you What happened to the soul that she used 
So this was Ask Miss Chris on Quirkor once again with the one and only Miss Chris. I'll see you next week. Maybe a pre-recorded episode, maybe not, but you'll definitely be hearing this lovely voice though. I'll see you soon. Love you. You're listening to archival content from CKUT 90.3 FM's Time Capsule. Check out ckuttimecapsule.wordpress.com for more. Good evening and welcome to Queer Core on CKUT 90.3 FM or ckut.ca on the web. This is the special Perversité edition of our show. It is Monday, August 10th. About 25 years ago, on July 16, 1990, a mostly queer after-hours party called Sex Garage, which was held in the old port of Montreal, was raided by police. The raid involved intense and homophobic police violence and a number of arrests. The reaction to these raids, which included a kissin' and a number of protests and demonstrations, would lead to a new relationship between queer people and the public, as well as the formation of the now no longer existent Diversité, Montreal's first LGBTQ Pride Festival. Tonight, we'll hear from Queercore alumni Poilo Deer and photographer Linda Don Hammond, whose photos were instrumental in holding the police accountable for their violence and publicizing the events that happened that night. So don't touch that dial. This is Queercore on CKUT 90.3 FM or CKUT.ca on the web. And we're going to start by putting you back in the vibe of those sex garage parties with The Boy Who Couldn't Keep His Clothes On, the Benji Girlfriend Beats remix by the Pet Shop Boys. Stay tuned. organizers for the big party that took place after a big demo that took place after the sex garage uh, kissin in front of station 25 and the bar raid that took place two days before so if we want to put sex garage into uh, today's perspective it would probably feel like pomp but without the bar license. Back in the day, and still today, but back in the day, uh, bars were segregated. So you had your gay bars, you had your girl bars, and, you know, you had Café Clio and maybe L'Entrepot, which did drag shows. Um, so, and along linguistic lines as well, to bars that you'd consider like, oh, that's where the, all the Anglos go, and then the French bars. Sex Garage, what made Sex Garage really unique was that it brought everybody together. It brought all these different communities together, uh, university students, people like me who were like, kind of like street hustler kids, um, gay, straight, lesbian transgender drag queens it was a melting pot of like the city's counterculture if you like um and they were awesome 
and you needed to know about them. You either got a flyer from a friend, or you'd be out drinking, and you'd hear word that, oh, Nicholas Jenkins, who was the person who did these parties, was having a party, usually somewhere in old Montreal, in some abandoned building or warehouse, Um, you know, and great DJs, liquor, extras, contortionists, strippers, um, drag queens, the the gamut of, you know, nightlife. And you probably, like I said, you, you probably feel like something like pomp today. Like that kind of like energy and vibe and a mix of everyone. My name's uh, Linda Don Hammond and I'm a photographer from formerly of Montreal. Looking at the invite the other day and I realized that I, I missed uh, the actual performance that they'd done, which is a shame. You know, that would have been probably interesting to photograph, but I must have arrived after twelve thirty because it was over. That part was over. Yeah, there was some yeah, there was something going on there earlier. But I mean I'd miss that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I was at I was actually at a bar called Les Arts, which was uh, one of my my favorite bars on Saint Denis Street. And and that was also you know, that was a very open, uh, inclusive uh, place to party. And, you know, people are always interested. And I, and I photographed that as well. I don't know if I mentioned, like, it's, it wasn't just... Um, people there weren't just gay people as well. You know, there were people that were very gay positive, I suppose, right? Like, mm-hmm. but, you know, club people. Anybody, anybody that uh, probably didn't fit into let's say, um, you know, the straight party scene or, or maybe wanted to uh, be part of a gay scene that was more inclusive, you know? Yeah. Uh, that, you know, because there were, there were, like, lesbians and, and gay men and, uh, and, as I said, like, um, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't really classify them as straight, but you know what I mean, you know, like club people. Kind of almost like New York-style club people, which is, which is what, what Nicholas was going for because he felt like, you know, I think that, um, you know, I don't want to speak for him, but... Uh, from what I what I've read, uh, he stated that um, you know he felt like Montreal needed something like you know like he had experienced in New York, and so he wanted to bring that uh, to Montreal. On this night, we're having a party, and it's a great time. And usually, usually we uh, Nicholas back in the day, and people who did bars, gay bars, would always have a lookout for the cops. And most of the time, the cops would show up. If you were doing, like, an after-hours party, you'd get rid of the cash. The police would come and do the rounds and just close the place down. But on that night, it got violent. They were aggressive. They didn't have badges. Um, and they were provoking. So... In terms of what set this apart, you would say the violence is what set this apart from a lot of the other raids that were happening? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And the big difference is that there was visuals. Mm. Somebody was there with a camera. Otherwise, if Linda Don Hammond hadn't been there, there would have been no proof. It would have been our word against theirs. And it would have been just another typical, hateful, violent, oppressive police raid on a disenfranchised community. Um, And the difference was, 
we, many young people were in school, in university. We had become media savvy. We were in the midst of the AIDS crisis, so we were mobilizing. We grew up, some of us, not believing that queerness was something to be ashamed of, but something as that's part of our integrity, is that the word in English? But part of ourselves. And so I don't think the police understood what they were provoking that night. I think they just thought that, you know, push a few people around, you know, bring a couple of people into holding cells, give people fines, you know, abuse people verbally, physically. And they probably thought night as usual and get away with it. And that night they happened to pick on the wrong kids. The photos capturing the violence. Right. Capturing what these men and women in uniform were doing to our community when we weren't harming anyone. Mm -hmm. We were having a party. No one was killed. No one was injured. And they came in and decided that they were going to be abusive. And they, like I said, they picked on the wrong people that night. And we mobilized. All right. So, let's see. Um, I was invited to, uh, to attend a party by Nicholas Jenkins, who was the person who organized a uh, sex garage party. And he used to have parties in Montreal, um, which always had really interesting names like Candy Bar <clears throat> and Sex Garage. And um, he, uh, he knew that I was interested in photographing uh, just gay and punk subcultures and, you know, being part of that scene myself. And so he'd invited me to come photograph it. Um, and uh, I actually showed up probably a bit late. Uh, the party started at around 11.30, and I showed up half night, maybe around 1 o'clock in the morning, with some friends. We'd been at another club. And uh, and we showed up, and... Um, Nothing, nothing particularly different was happening at that party. It was, you know, definitely no reason for police to be called. Um, there were some, there were some rumors afterwards that the police had claimed that uh, Nicholas himself had uh, had uh, asked for the police uh, to come because the party was out of hand. But um, this was all untrue. Um, it was in it was in a warehouse district, and there weren't any neighbors, so there hadn't been any noise complaints either. Right. <clears throat> Sorry, my throat is still going. Anyway, uh, um, at one point of the evening, uh, I've been photographing just people dancing and partying and things like that. And at one point uh, in the evening, uh, suddenly we were told that the police had had been there and they told everyone to leave, except that nobody saw the police. And we were kind of questioning whether that was even true because, you know, there had been... Um, you know, there had been performances earlier that night, and so some people were even suggesting maybe it was just a performance and this, you know, these weren't real police. But then another rumor started to circulate that, uh, that a man, uh, had been beaten up between, uh, the cars in front. He had tried to return to the, uh, to the, uh, loft space to retrieve his coats. 
his name is Bruce Buck, and he had been taken between the cars by the police and beaten really badly and then arrested as well. And some friends of mine had witnessed this permanent loss space. Uh, and so when time we uh, finally realized, yes, we have to leave, the lights came on and, and uh, people started to exit through the door. Uh, we already knew something had gone on, that the police had injured someone. And then we were faced with uh, maybe 30 or 40 police in front of the doors, which was really quite a surprise. It was it was quite excessive. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, we didn't quite understand why they were there uh, because, you know, there had been no upsets or anything in the party and, you know. Um, so the people in the, people at the party who had exited decided that, that this was um this was likely uh, a homophobic uh, reaction on the part of the police, uh, and that was kind of verified when they started um, saying things to certain people in the group, like, uh, you know, stroking their matraque and saying, uh, I bet you like this and uh, you want this, you know, things like this, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, there were some some sexual connotations behind their, um, you know, behind this... Uh, uh, attack, I suppose. Um, at this point, they were just, you know, kind of just taunting us, and, and people responded in like uh, people weren't taking it, and they just sort of stood there and, and uh, you know, so, you know, basically said, "What's your problem?" And uh, we're proud to be gay, and you know, uh, and uh, the, you know, and the police um, at this point still had on their identification, and. And they, uh, they didn't respond very well to two men in the group who uh, basically mooned them, like showed their asses to the cops. And that seemed to really trigger uh, a very bizarre reaction because they started getting a bit more organized and they kind of conferred with each other and and they uh, formed um, more of a like a little um, kind of a battalion kind of uh, uh, assault on us. And they started moving us towards um, Lagosha Chair and Beaver Hall Hill, uh, away from the warehouse space. And they, they'd also, we noticed they'd arranged their um, vehicles, the, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the police vehicles kind of block certain exits so you couldn't get to your cars or your bicycles if they were in one area of the street. Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of were trying to, uh, I, I guess now they call it kettling, uh, but there wasn't that term in those days, but they were basically trying to push us towards uh, the area they wanted us to go to, which was the hill, you know. Um, and uh, then they started removing their identification badges in front of us, and, and that was uh, that was chilling because as soon as they did that, you knew that uh, whatever it was that they had in mind for us wasn't, wasn't uh, actually legal. Because I don't believe that you remove your identification badges, uh, you know, if you're planning on, you know, yeah. So that was that was the big indication, really, that things were going down <laughs> that were not going to be very pleasant for us. Yeah. And uh, it just it just actually made people even more angry, you know, like in the group, uh, you know, that, and and people didn't move because they thought, well, what is this? We have a right to be here. You know, uh, and the police um, just 
you know, suddenly gave, uh, I mean, like they had certain police officers were still wearing their badges, and those were the ones I suppose were in charge, and, and one of them even had a megaphone and he was directing the other ones, and they just suddenly charged at us and started beating people, and they were, they were, I don't even know how many police were there because they were all over the place. I mean, they were, they probably surrounded us, you know, without us realizing, um, and they were in the parking lots and they were chasing people across parking lots, and, and uh, I was on the, I was on the hill. Um, and uh, I had already shot like two rolls of film earlier, like in the party and and uh, at the previous place that I'd been, uh, you know, partying at. And and I was uh, I had over my first two rolls of film to a friend of mine, Daryl, who um, had volunteered to do this. He was on a bicycle, and he said he would stay in the vicinity, and if I needed him, he would rescue my camera, right? Because we knew that the police would most likely be after it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so, you know, because I was the only photographer there, as far as I knew. I didn't, I didn't see anyone else at the time, and, and the police, of course, uh, had been watching me because every time I photographed them, my flash would go off and it would, it would indicate my position, mm-hmm. you know? They started uh, pushing us up the hill, and, right. um, and, you know, at this point, uh, fortunately, I had already given away two rolls of film, right, to okay. my friend on, there on the bicycle. And, uh, you know, I was um, I was wondering to myself at that point why they hadn't taken me down, because they were starting to grab people, and, you know, and obviously I knew they were going to be after the, the photographs. They had been staring at me when I'd been shooting them, and, you know, and they were obviously angry about it. But I think that I, I do believe that what they thought was we can take her at any point. So might as well let her shoot. And then we'll have pictures inside the party as well, right? Because right. I think they used to use things like that to identify people who would frequent uh, gay bars and, you know, just, um, you know, in after hours places. So, you know, that would have been a value to them. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to let them have it. Absolutely not. <laughs> so... Uh, Anyway, so we'd already protected two rolls, and then um, when they started, fo- I, I was photographing the shot, probably my most famous one, of, of Wendy. That was the one that was in both of the newspapers, Wendy Stevens, and uh, she was um, she she was trying to leave, and they had tripped her, and she had fallen on her face, and she told me at the time. Uh, like that, that they had whispered in her ear, "Get up, run, run," and you know, uh, and she had tried to scramble up, but they had taken their matraque, the sticks, and they had tripped her again before she had a chance to catch herself, and so she'd fallen on her face oh, repeatedly. God. So that's how her face got so, you know, bashed up from falling on the ground, and and, and I thought that was a particularly sadistic, mm-hmm. you know, this account. Anyway, anyway, so I was photographing her, and uh, and then uh, they um, sort of jumped on one man that they'd gotten hold of, and they were in a big pileup. And I was standing only a few feet away because I had a wide-angle lens, and you know, with my with my dying flash, my flash at that point, um, the batteries had been dying. It made it very difficult to photograph because I had to keep waiting waiting for them to recharge. Anyway, um, so. I uh, I was photographing this guy in a pileup, and and there was a couple of other women that I knew. Uh, one of them was on her knees uh, with a stick at her head, and the other one was, um, you know, 
standing there and the police were confronting her and they looked really had the strangest expression they uh they they almost looked afraid like part of like some maybe the maybe the reaction from the police was also that they were they were a little bit intimidated or or fearful of the people that they were attacking too you know mm-hmm. anyway um and and there was and in the corner of that photograph which which always gets cut out by the media because they think it's not of any value is on the very far left side is a man like another cop with a stick and he's looking at me with this this opportunistic look on his face uh, <laughs> and yeah. I, I only realized afterwards because uh, that always gets cropped out but when I looked at the entire negative I, I, realized, I thought to myself well, he was very close to me and somebody came up behind me just after I shot that and they knocked my legs out from, from behind you know like they hit my knees mm. so I fell forward and I and I didn't I didn't even realize I'd been hit because it was dark and you when know, I was concentrating on shooting and you know I didn't realize uh, until somebody I, witnesses told me afterwards I thought I cut out tripped but then I well, what did I trip on I don't I don't remember tripping you know why am I falling I was just basically why am I falling and um, and then uh, somebody also told me that they hit me across uh, my hands like around the chest area where I had my camera. And uh, and uh, you know, again, I didn't even notice that. If they had, if people hadn't told me, I don't think I would have realized exactly what was going on. It was all very confusing. But um, I knew that the police were about three or four feet away from me. That I knew, and they were beating people. So obviously, I I wanted to protect my camera, and I fell really you know, like awkwardly on my arm uh, um, to try to protect it so it wouldn't break because. Because um, especially with analog cameras, they, they're like full metal and they're really powerful. But at the same time, if the back had flipped open, the negatives would have been lost. Like it would have been exposed, right? right. So, so I had to protect that camera when I fell. And then, and then I was like kind of lying on, I kind of twisted away from the cops. I was lying on the ground and I thought, okay, I get away from it. It's under a camera. It's a box. Box with film in it, and I, you know, my beautiful Nikon, and and I threw it up the hill. I just kind of like, like a lot of along the ground, so it wouldn't, you know, get too damaged. Um, as again, I didn't want it to pop open, and and I just threw the camera up the hill towards all these people with feet running past me, and I just showed the camera run uh, to anybody who was up ahead, and you know, seriously hoped it wasn't going to be a cop that heard it. And as I did that, turns out that um, the flash had been dislodged uh, from probably the hit that it took, you know, when I was holding it, mm-hmm. you know, when the cop hit me across the hand. Anyway, it, it, but, you know, so it, it knocked the, uh, this big flash that was on the camera uh, off, and the flash went flying to the, to the right as I threw my camera to the left. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the police uh, left the guy. They were all jumped on, like they, you know, they were all in this huddle on top of this guy. And they all like abandoned him, and they all jumped on my flash, <laughs> which gave me the opportunity uh, to run at that point. And um, but but just before I ran, I was you know kind of lying on the ground, looking up ahead after I'd thrown the camera, thinking, Oh my God. Uh, I wonder if I'll ever see it again, you know? Yeah. And, and I knew that the most important photographs were in that camera because those were the very last ones where they really started hitting people, right? Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, and then I saw somebody up ahead 
and and uh, he was smiling at me, and I was like thinking, why why are you smiling? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because I didn't think it was a very funny situation. Um, but then I saw him pointing, and he was pointing at my Mickey Mouse strap, uh, camera strap that was on my camera, uh, which was really, you know, it was it was built from that distance because it was such a ridiculous item, <laughs> you know, little Mickey Mouse faces and um and he was pointing to it he didn't show the camera he showed the strap right you know, i recognized it and I, I was so happy so i just scrambled up and i ran for my camera and he handed it back and then and then just as he handed it back daryl showed up on the bicycle my savior and uh and he and i handed him the camera and he said i'll meet your airplane and so he took off with it and you know because i didn't want to be caught you know because the police obviously knew who i was and right. you know by this point and uh you know if if they had managed to get their hands on me at that point then i didn't want them to get hands on the camera as well right anyway so that was good and uh, made it home safely, and um, and then we took the uh, a friend of mine showed up, and we went together to uh, La Presse, and they they developed and printed the photographs, and, uh, and then after that we took it to the English press, we took it to the Gazette, right, and yeah, and it was published the next day, right? Yeah, yeah, they didn't give us front page or anything because obviously we weren't worth that. But um, we got like fifth page from the press and third page, I think, from the Gazette. Um, and the Gazette had actually hesitated printing them at all because uh, because they were saying that they didn't have much room because um, the Oka crisis was happening. Right. And they were saying, you know, it's taking up all their pages. And, uh, they, and you know, the Gazette actually considered not publishing it because they didn't think it was maybe of uh, newsworthy. <laughs> you can believe that. Right. I, I was I was really shocked when they when they suggested that. Yeah. They weren't, you know, gonna print it. So, um, you know, we uh kind of my friend and I we were just sort of talking about what had happened and she mentioned that Station twenty five had been one of the major perpetrators of this attack. Which was a surprise because uh, Station 25 wasn't that area. This, you know, we're down in Old Montreal. Station 25 is located up near Concordia. Um, so we decided. Oh well, anyway, I came up with this kind of absurd idea at the time, I suppose. But um, I, I, I had said to her, well, obviously Station 25. I mean, if they were there, you know, this was, and we knew it was a homophobic attack. Uh, and I, I said, well, what we should do is we should have a loving in front of Station 25, and that would be, that would be. Uh, I, I also knew that. I mean, if if we did do this, that uh, that would attract media attention. And you know, we were. I was trying to figure out how to get like a that to print these pictures, right? <laughs> you know, and think the story was of value. And uh, so we phoned up one girl and we said to her, hey, if we have a love-in tomorrow from the station 25, will you be there? And she said, sure, I'll be there. So on the basis of this, myself, this other person who was with me, and this girl, this unknown girl on the phone, I told the Gazette, oh, oh by the way, we're having a love-in tomorrow from the station 25. And, uh, and they immediately change their tune. It was like, oh, well, in that case, uh, there's going to be follow-up. Well, <laughs> well, we'll run the story. <laughs> and uh, they said, you don't even have to organize a meeting. We'll, we'll organize, you know, we'll